What's so amazing is that when you and I enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're forgiven. We are made new. And that is a beautiful thing. And what also is beautiful about that is now you and I are made right with our Heavenly Father. When he sees us, he no longer sees the sin, but he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And what's awesome is that God doesn't leave us there. He gives us this incredible gift, his presence and his power, it's Holy Spirit. It's the God in us. So before we jump into the word, let me pray for us. Father God, thank you so much. Even as we just sing, as the Spirit was hovering over the waters at creation all the way back in Genesis to an axe when finally the promised gift that Jesus says would come and it was Holy Spirit. We ask, as it was represented in the book of Acts, fire and wind, come do it again. Come fill us. Come speak to us. Help us to live by your spirit, to walk by your spirit, God. And help us in everything that we do, through our worship, through our deeds, through our thoughts, through our words. May everything we do bring honor and glory to you, God. It's all because of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. We praise you. All honor and glory to you, And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, hey, real quick, before you sit down, turn to your neighbor and say, good to see you this morning. Welcome to part three of our teaching series, God in Us, the Upgrade Within. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you enjoying this series so far? Okay, good. Glad you answered that way because it would be really awkward if you didn't answer that way. I'm enjoying, I'm, I just enjoy learning more and more about our faith and especially this incredible gift, Holy Spirit, that God has given each and every one of us as followers of Jesus. Um, when I was in high school, going into my senior year of high school, that summer, I worked at a golf course. And in that golf course, I'm not quite sure what my job was. Uh, it was pretty nebulous, it was just out there, but I know this. I wrote, on, or wrote in one of these a lot. Um, sometimes I would take off and just venture the golf course because I was bored and watch golfers. I think one thing I was supposed to do, and I didn't do it real well, was sometimes to be at the 18th hole that was right next to the clubhouse. And uh, while the team or the players were on the green putting, I was to sometimes go down by their cart and kind of clean off their golf clubs in hope I would get a tip. of the time, I received no gift, no uh, tip at all. They were just like, thanks, and then they busted off. And I'm like, no. So I'm like, I got to find out something. So oftentimes I would get in this uh, golf cart and just kind of putz around the golf course, just making sure play moves through, uh, moves uh, nicely, the flow of the golf play, so no other teams behind them get, you know, caught up and have to wait. But one frustration about a golf cart is this. They're slow. And when you're, when you're cruising the golf course at age 17, you want to go fast. So I, got, I remember one time we got to the clubhouse, and I was lamenting a little bit about the slowness of a golf cart, to which one of my coworkers says, 
Did you know they have a, what's called a governor on it? If you don't know what a governor is, a governor limits the power that a golf cart has. You can go in there and remove the governor to make your golf cart really fast. So he's explaining this to me, and you know my first thought is, we're doing this. <laughs> I'm tired of going slow. We're going to go fast now. And, this, and so we did. I was zooming this golf course. I mean, I could get to hole one all the way clear out to like 10 in no time now. Now I was having fun. Why? I was going fast, right? It was a beautiful thing. Now, if you have a golf cart, you can go home. You could just YouTube how to remove your governor and you can go quick too, okay? It's one thing to govern or limit the power of a golf cart. It's another thing to limit the power of Holy Spirit in our lives. We are limiting unlimited power when we quench the Spirit. Let me say that again. We are limiting unlimited power when we quench the Spirit. I love, as followers of Jesus, that you guys realize we have unlimited power through the Holy Spirit. I love what Paul writes to the churches in, in Rome, trying to figure out what does faith look like, trying to figure out what does following after Jesus now look like. In Romans 8, chapter 11, it reads this way, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in, what's this one word? You. He's reminding the first century Christians that the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you. In other words, you and I have that exact same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. You and I have resurrection power in our lives. Woo! That's a good thing, right? Who wouldn't want that? The same power that Jesus used to allow the blind to see, to allow the lame to walk, is living inside of you. That's awesome news this morning. But here's the issue. We have a choice to make, friends. And the choice is this. We can live by the power of the flesh or the power of the spirit. You choose. I've titled part three, Are You Quenching the Spirit? Are you quenching the spirit? First Thessalonians Chapter 5 is where we will be. So if you want to find your Bible or your tablet, your phone, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is probably the shortest verse I've ever preached on in my life. That does not mean you're getting out early, okay? It's probably earlier than the last two weeks. I had to simplify this down. We were going to talk about another thing. Uh, Are you quenching the spirit? Next week we're going to talk, are you grieving the spirit? Two things you and I can do to the spirit. And um, I realized after like, when I did both of them in one message, I was like, no way, I'm going to blow their hair back. I can't. I got to shorten this up. Very concise. So we'll do it a two-parter. But here's the question. Are you quenching the spirit? Let's look to see what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. It's where you and I get Thessalonians. It's the church in Thessalonica. Why does it have a one before Thessalonians? This is the first letter. We have a second letter. That's why the one's there. 
We'll be in chapter 5. Here's what it says. Do not what, friends? Do not quench the spirit. Or maybe your translation says, do not stifle the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Do not stifle the spirit. This is a command from God. Do not. Do not quench the spirit. See, we sing about it. That Holy Spirit, fire and wind, come do it again. Again, do you know where that comes from? The book of Acts, chapter 2, when Pentecost happens. When Holy Spirit is represented as images and metaphor as fire. When Holy Spirit fell down at Pentecost, it says that the, the flame became distributed among the people and they had what appeared to be like a tongue of fire above their head. In the Old Testament, Holy Spirit's represented as he moved the Israelites in the wilderness by a pillar of fire. Fire is a representation of the presence of God. And that's why we say, Holy Spirit, fire and wind, come do it again. It's a representation when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have the fire of God in us now. It's the presence of God. And I love it. But here's the issue. Matt, do you mind bringing that prop uh, um, for me? Yeah, you can just come on right on stage. You do that. Thank you. You didn't know. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. It's not many manly things I do, but this may be one of them. This is what? This, like, kindergarten class. Don't overthink it, friends. This is what? <laughs> Fire extinguisher. First Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the spirit. This quench word means this. To extinguish a fire. The writer, Paul, is telling the first century Christians in the church of Thessalonica, do not do that to the Spirit. Do not quench or stifle the Spirit. It's healthy stuff. It's okay. Just breathe. <laughs> It'll all go away. You and I can put out the flame of the Spirit in our lives. Love, you and I get this. You can determine the intensity of the fire by how you fan the flame. You can determine the intensity of the fire by how you fan the flame. So the great theologian, Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire. It's always been burning since the world's been turning. True, the spirit has always been there. But look what you can, look what, what in um, first, first Timothy, or 2 Timothy 1, 6 reads this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. This incredible gift that Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, that wait here in Jerusalem because you will receive the gift my Father promised, which is the Holy Spirit. Which is in you, the gift of the Holy Spirit is in you through the laying on of my hands. You and I have a choice. The way we live our lives, we can fan the flame of the Spirit or we can extinguish the Spirit. We can quench 
and stifle him. So this morning, I'm going to simplify it. I'm going to give us three ways you and I quench Holy Spirit in our lives. Three ways. There's multiple. I think these are the three heaviest I see right now. Here's the first is this. With limitations on God. With limitations on God. Let me if, answer this. Just think about these questions. If you've ever said this or heard another Christian say this. That can't be of God. God can't do that. We make these statements And it's like we've put God in a box now. And our finite thinking cannot fathom his infinite thinking. He is beyond us. And I've said this over and over from this stage. If you can fit God into your box, he's not a God worth worshiping. He is beyond that. And I love this fact that I'm wondering if we haven't put God in such a box that we've just squished him and says, God, this is how you operate, and you don't operate outside the bounds of this box. My prayer for all of us has been this, this week. God, made the ceiling of our faith become the floor of our faith. I think God wants to do more, friends. He wants to awaken us to more. I love that Jesus couldn't even do more in cities. Here's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. And he, Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their what, friends? Unbelief. I wonder if it's because of our unbelief that we're limiting what God can do in us and through us. Last week, I showed you the plausibility structure. My heart and prayer for this series is that this is what we normally find within the bounds of our relationship with God, that we think in our lives God doesn't operate beyond that. What would it look like to start praying, God, expound our plausibility structure on what you can do? I don't want to only think this small. I want to think big now. And I love, I love, I love, love, love what um, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says. Watch this. Now to him who is able... God who is able to do immeasurably more, he will blow your mind away than all we ask or imagine how, according to his power that is at work within us. He can do more. And I say, and I, my prayer for all of us is that when unbelief creeps in, we, we react and say, God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Expand more. Let me ask you a question. What does God want to do in your life? And are you believing him that he can do that? What are you trusting God for that if God doesn't step in, you're done? Or are we playing it safe? Are we playing it too safe, friends? This is the, we serve a God who can part the sea, who can make the sun stand still and defy gravity and walk on water. God can do amazing things. We don't just read it, we get to encounter it and experience here and now. Woo! Turn your neighbor and say, Woo! I'm curious, friends, if our prayers are a little too small. If our prayers are a little too small. Also, we put limitations of God when we limit the gifts of the Spirit. 
I love the following verse. It says, do not quench the spirit. And then in verse 20, immediately, don't despise prophecies. Don't despise a prophetic word that a brother in Christ gives you that will edify you and lift you up to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Don't neglect it. See, we begin to put limitations of God when we think, God, this is the only way you work. I love this. I don't know where I got it. I heard it, and I wrote it down. It says this. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Let me say it one more time. You should have said amen then. But that, we'll get it. You guys, I think you guys will get it this time. Are you ready? Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Come on. Do we expect that God's going to move? Do we believe that our God is a God that can move mountains for us? Do we believe it or do we limit him and we're quenching the move and work of Holy Spirit within us? Here's number two. We quench Holy Spirit with formality and routine. This is a double thing and hang in here. I'll explain these two. Let's go with number one. Let's talk formality. I mean formality This is the church. This is us. This is Radiant Life. You know, a lot of us are, we as pastors are meeting, wondering, what are we going to do with more services? You know, pre-COVID, we had three services, and now we've been at two, and you guys can all know this space needs more room. You all know that parking lot needs more room. Praise God we have those pain points. Amen? Praise God. So you're saying, Ryan, why don't we just go back to three? The problem is right now is that we have a 9 and 11 o'clock Sunday morning. We have a two-hour gap to sit there and say, Holy Spirit, do what you want to do. The issue was pre-COVID when we have three services, please hear my heart on this. It was like herding cattle because we had to move people from here out and get clear the parking lot before the new service gets here. So we were more on time constraints. You know what God's been doing in our two services? The last baptism, y'all, if you come to 11 o'clock, I I know some of y'all left because it was lunch hour. Like a couple months ago, do you remember when we had a two-hour service at our 11 o'clock service? Why? Because the Spirit was moving and more people were getting baptized. We can't do that when, we, when we'll, squinch, we'll, we'll, we'll quench the spirit by sitting and going, sorry, God, you got to be done because we got to get more people in for the next service. So do you see the pain point we as pastors and leaders are going through right now? Ryan, go back to the Saturday night service then. It's a possibility. It takes a little more finagling on Saturday night. But here's what I realize. You all still want to come on Sunday. So if we go Saturday and still have two on Sunday, y'all will still pack out our Sunday services. We still need room. So be in prayer for us as pastors as we make decisions on what to do. Uh, I was able to talk to an architect this week just to have him. He's going to come and look to say, what does it look like to blow out, you know, the, build, the sides now and build this space a little larger? Just a little larger. Also the parking lot because we need more room in that parking lot. But we, as a radiant life, don't want to quench the spirit with formality. That doesn't mean we always want a two-hour service. But it does mean we're going to be open to what Holy Spirit wants to do. And I love not being constrained by time. Here's, what about routine? If you look at your own routine and schedule, 
Holy Spirit can't work in your life because of how busy your life is. There is zero time for Holy Spirit to even work in your life. Let's be honest. We did a series back in July. Do you guys remember that series if you were with us? It was called what? Does anyone know? (laughs) Slow the hurry. Good series, right? Challenging. How are we doing now? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Many of us have probably fallen back to our same busyness and routine. Same busy. How many of us come every Sunday morning truly expecting to hear and see God move? Or do we come on Sunday morning because it's just what we've done? We don't come in with any expectation that we're going to hear from the Spirit. Do we have room? Now, I'll say this as your pastor. I know many of you, you're sick of hearing this word, COVID. I understand that. Can I tell you, as your pastor, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. When the entire world shut down. You ask why. My problem is, I'm a workaholic. I'm an achiever, I go after things. I was running so hard. I was getting exhausted. And when everything shuts down, it was like, (laughs) Holy Spirit said, Ryan, you've done a great job building my church but you and I are going to build the church now. You know how hard that is to say that to you. I needed COVID to happen to your pastor. And I know it was hard. I'm not saying it was so easy. It was hard. But my times and God's filling in my life was so rich. And I thank him for those. I deeply thank him for those. Do you have time to allow Holy Spirit to speak in your life? Whether it's through the word, worship, or prayer, do you make room for him on a daily basis to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me, move. Some of us are going to have to pull over in life and put it in park for a while and say, speak to me. Can I also say this, friends? And I look in the camera because I know my wife is watching right now. Some of that busyness for me was I was neglecting the home life. I wasn't being the best husband and the best dad. I was so busy. My family will always be my number one ministry. This church will be the second ministry I have. And I need to live into that more. This is not just a confessional time for the pastor. (laughs) What I'm encouraging you with is for you and I to live into Psalm 4610 is this. Be what, friends? Not be busy, hurry, and know that I'm God. It's be still and know that I'm God. We have to look at our calendar and sit there and go, where is routine? Do I have space for God? Outside of this beautiful Thanksgiving feast we get to have every Sunday together, 
am I eating my own meals with Holy Spirit? Here's the last and third is this. With disobedience, call it sin. Please hear me on this. Please. When God speaks, you and I must act. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. And here's the problem. We don't like sin anymore. We we don't like saying what sin is. Get this. Acceptance and consumption of sinful activity becomes a pathway to spiritual dysfunction. By the power of Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit, you can be set free from sin. You are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and you can be set free. And this is hard. This is hard. I think that sin has crept into this idea that we live into perpetual sin and we, here's, here's what Christians are so good at. Is it really that big of a deal? It is. Because God sent his son to die for that. It's a big deal. It's just a little white lie. It's a big deal. Jesus died for that. I love what John Owen writes in his book, Overcoming Sin and Temptation. It says, sin moves by drawing the mind away from God. I love that. Enticing the affections and twisting desires and paralyzing the will, thus stunting Christian growth. Remember, your pastor loves you dearly. And I want the best for you. There's a sin that has crept into Christians that God has made for marriage. And I see it rising and rising, and it breaks my heart. Sexual sin outside of the bounds of marriage is sin and it's wrong. And you quench the spirit when you engage in that outside of the bounds of marriage. It's a beautiful thing that God has created within the marriage. But get outside of it. It'll lead to destruction. But Ryan, it feels good. You're right, because look, sin entices the infection, affections. It twists the desires. It draws your mind away from God. I truly believe in the power of Jesus Christ. I truly believe in the power of Holy Spirit living inside of you. That we no longer have to be moved by sin. First Peter chapter 1 says, be holy because I'm holy. In other words, be set apart. Look different. Because you are my representation to this world around you. So look like me. Which often doesn't look like the world. And people will see that you're different. And they'll want to know who I am. 
because of the way you live your life. And it looks a little different, but that's okay. The world looks weird anyways. Proverbs writes this, Proverbs 28, 13. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. That's the God we serve. Not to hit you over the head with your sin. But the one that says, I want you to prosper. And when you confess, what are you going to find? This beautiful mercy from me. Remember I said, we have a choice. Walk by the flesh. Walk by the spirit. Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk by the spirit. Look what happens. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The key to putting sin to death each day in our lives is walking closely with Holy Spirit. It's walking with him. Every day you know those battles that rage within you. It's a battle because of the flesh and the spirit are at war. May the spirit win. May the spirit win in your life. So we quench Holy Spirit by the limitations. God, you can't do that. With formality and routine that we don't make room. Holy Spirit's saying, going, I want to do I want to work. You, you need my power to love them really, really well. You're just quenching me. And we'll quench the spirit when we live in this perpetual disobedience, this perpetual sin in our life. What I found in my walk with Christ is we love the Heavenly Father's love. We sing about it. We love Jesus as our Savior to forgive us of our sins. We hire him as Savior, but fire him as Lord. Just get me out of hell. Let me be my master. And then that leaves the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit. And often of times we just don't know what to do with Holy Spirit. But it's dawned on me through many conversations over the last week. We must surrender to Holy Spirit as well. Until you are totally surrendered, you will never see Holy Spirit work at the full potential he can work in your life. Because you're quenching him. And he wants to burn again inside of you. The passion, the fire. It says, come Holy Spirit, come. And I wonder if we have to, to get this back. It's not a posture of this. Just say, Holy Spirit, there's some things in my life I gotta surrender. I've been holding on far too long. And I'm tired of carrying around the fire extinguisher 
set ablaze in me once again. So that's the question we ended last week with. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And maybe for many of us it is a posture. It's just a change in posture. Maybe the Spirit's saying, you know what? You haven't surrendered to me yet. I'm here ready to be lit on fire with you. But you haven't surrendered. Maybe for others of us, it's literally, we have some confession of disobedience in our lives that we just, God's sitting here going, I love you and I'll meet you here with my grace and my mercy towards Jesus. I want to point you towards Jesus. He's not up there in heaven getting ready to go, I can't wait till you confess so I can slap you across your head. No. He's saying, come to me and you're going to find mercy. So at this time, our prayer partners, do you mind going to your corners there? We're going to sing this song, Nothing Else. And I want to encourage you, and I'm going to be bold in this. Maybe you need to flood our front altars here at the stage or over on the sides and the stairs. The front, those stairs, that sides. The prayer partners are here. Maybe you just need to go to them for prayer. Maybe you need to just fall on your face and change your posture here. But there is nothing else but Jesus Christ. Let us be a church that's not a water brigade, but a church that sits there and go, God, burn and light the fire again. We're done quenching. So I'm going to ask you, friends, will you please stand? And we're going to close with this song, but please see see the prayer partners that are down. Chad and Rebecca are going to change sides here for you. But our prayer partners are there. The altar is open. No more quenching. Let's come alive in the spirit, friends. Let's worship. Let's come to the altar and kneel.